You're listening to Cross the Line 1524, the common man's podcast. But I came here for just one drink. It's Cross the Line 1524. Join us at the Rusted Nail Speakeasy with a glass of bourbon, table 12, as the guys sit around and discuss distilleries, common day events, or whatever comes to the bar top. That's right. Cross the line, 1524. Welcome to Cross the Line, 1524. I'm Alan Stanger with... Dwayne Bischoff. Jeff Montag. And we've got a very special guest on the phone. If you guys watch Fox News, you might have seen him on there talking about, you know, one of our favorite topics we talked about a few weeks ago. Not that it's a favorite topic, but we were talking about the Bud Light debacle um, with the transgender and all that kind of stuff. So this this is how connections work out. So we have on the other end, uh, on the phone, Anson Ferrix. So I've known Anson's dad for 23 years. Uh, we started out as he was a supplier. I was a buyer, uh, and that turned into a friendship. He comes to our Gator Fry every year here in Indiana. Uh, so I saw Anson on TV, and some folks forwarded that to me. I'm like, man, he's got the same last name as Mark. I wonder if they're related. <laughs> and then Mark shared it, so I called Mark, and he, I said, can you hook me up with Anson? We'd love to talk to him. Oh, that's so, pretty cool. Here we are. So Anson, how are you doing? Alan, doing great here. Really appreciate you having me on the show here. I've heard about this Gator Fest for years, and apologize I haven't been out there. Maybe this will be the year I'll get out there a little bit. Oh, this uh, is here heck of a day, heck of a time. Yeah, this is the year. So Anson is um, the president and co-founder of Strive Asset Management. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But prior to that, uh, he was in charge of marketing operations because he was the president of an Anheuser-Busch sales and distribution company. So as a past employee of Anheuser-Busch, what were they thinking? Yeah, I think the problem is, Al, is that they weren't thinking is, uh, is the biggest issue. And you know, one of the problems with the company is that originally the company was based in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was there for 100 plus years. But about six, seven years ago, they moved all their sales and marketing operations out of St. Louis and moved it to New York City. And when they moved it to New York City, they hired a bunch of folks from New York City, a lot of marketing agencies from New York City. And unfortunately, they lost touch with who their customer is. You know, the Bud Light customer is somebody that doesn't want to get involved in politics. The Bud Light customer is somebody that enjoys sports, that enjoys humor, that enjoys backyard barbecue. And that worked really well for the brand. I mean, heck, it's the largest brand in, uh, in America. And uh, that's what made it the largest brand in America was being remarkably apolitical. And uh, then all of a sudden, there was a marketing executive that thought the brand needed to be more inclusive when it was already super inclusive and uh, went after a uh, you know, really kind of polarizing uh, you know, community of folks and really polarizing topic that involved the transgender issues. And unfortunately, now the company's paying the price for that. Yeah, you know, being inclusive doesn't mean, I, I guess they thought they weren't including that group, but they weren't excluding that group either. But no, what, they weren't. You what, know, and I tell people all the time, like, I have friends that are, you know, transgender folks. Like, they like sports. They like laughing. They like backyard barbecues. Right. You know, it's not like you have to specifically go after you know, a certain group. In the same way that they would never put, I don't know, for example, like Joe Biden's face on a can of beer because that would be alienating to half of their customer base. Right. You know, 
It's also a, like, a very divisive political figure, Dylan Mulvaney, who they put on a cannon, obviously alienated a lot of their consumer base. You know, at the exact time their marketing exec made some, you know, unfortunate comments about who their existing base was. Yeah. You know, so be it if their existing base happened to be, you know, kind of like a, a fratty customer base. Those people, they drink a lot of beer. And you shouldn't exclude those types of people just to specifically try and, you know, include somebody else. Yeah. So you, you obviously listen to our podcast talking about the subject. One of my main things, uh, besides excluding all, all of us great beer drinkers, uh, was there's some targeting going on there with that marketing as far as I'm concerned. If you look at the facts and figures of where the transgender uh, age population is, it's in teenagers and younger people. Um, so I personally had a problem with that because of that reason. I mean, you're not allowed in the bourbon market, not that we know a lot about bourbon, but we do, but <laughs> in the bourbon market, you're not in out, distilled spirits, period. You're not allowed to market to teenagers. It's against the law. Um, and to me, when you're marketing uh, to the transgender and the highest age population of transgender is age 14 to 18, that's a problem. It's, it's definitely a problem in the beer industry. But I think like, the bigger issue with this is that the company has kind of lost touch and didn't really necessarily understand. I mean, the CEO is a European guy, Michel Duterres. Spent much of his career in China. He's only lived in New York and New York City. And he tried to downplay this whole episode by saying, hey, guys, it's only like one can and it was one influencer. And, you know, this was like, you know, kind of like, what's the big deal? But the problem is, is that influencer has 10 million followers on TikTok. So it doesn't look like it's just, you know, one can or it's one campaign. This is tens of millions of people that are now aware of this sort of like sponsorship that Anheuser-Busch has with a very controversial person. Some of those people, of course, are probably underage. I don't know what Dylan Mulvaney's specific following is, but when I was at Anheuser-Busch, we had all types of sign-off procedures, making sure that we had to um, only we could only actually sponsor people that were, I think, over the age of 24 or 25. And they had to look over the age of, of 21. You couldn't hire somebody that looks like they're you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, even though they might be 25 years old. And their following had to be at least... 70 to 80 percent above the legal drinking age I mean, there's certain things that you couldn't advertise of course like alcohol companies they can't advertise like kids television programs but you know even things like nfl like nfl there was at least 70 80 percent of people that were over the age of 21 there were certain sports that we couldn't sponsor that were under 21 like the x games for example a lot of issues with sponsoring like the x games because a lot of that consumer skewed younger i, I don't know exactly the dylan mulvaney issue but you're exactly right you can't necessarily sponsor people that have a young following yeah, and so, he kind of he kind of with his with the CEO statement, he kind of slapped the face of of his base, you know, when he said, you know, it kind of made it like well, you're just making a big deal out of nothing, and you know, it was something to to the majority of of their their market, which you know just was just just crazy. No, it is like this. This is for me. Like this is. I, 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 he tried to make, I call it like, you know, he tried to make this like a, a tempest in a pint glass, you know, that was like his view of this. But, you know, this, this is like a broader cultural issue with what's going on in the U.S. right now. Like, you know, it's not about this person being transgender, but it's a lot of the other issues that come out of this. So like, should biological men be competing in, in sports against biological women? Like, that is a very, very hot cultural touch point right now. Should kids who have not gone through puberty, should they be able to transition from a male to a female or vice versa? Like, there's a bigger cultural issue and a bigger right. cultural uh, war that's going on, which they stepped into. And that's the problem here, because that was never Bud Light's kind of brand, their identity, or their mission. You know, if Bud Light's mission as a beer 
was to be a politicized brand and to get involved in politics and have points of view on issues, great, okay, then go do that. But that's the problem. Like That's not what Bud Light ever stood for. Bud Light was supposed to be easy to drink, easy to enjoy. That was something that both Democrats and Republicans were both supposed to enjoy. Again, frankly, that's what made it the most nonpartisan beer in the U.S., enjoyed equally by people who were Democrats and Republicans because it was all about things that brought us together as a brand, not about getting involved in polarizing political issues. So that's the problem. That's why the company kind of made a mistake having that brand get involved in a very polarizing machine, very polarizing topic. Yeah. And, and, and so to add to it, during the NFL draft, Bud Light puts out a new commercial. So I don't know if you guys saw the commercial. Which one? It had your buddy Zach Brown singing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. So they turned it into a country commercial to, to try to recoup, and what that did was slap everybody in the face quite honestly. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, the, the bad thing with it, like, it was actually like a really good commercial. Yes, you know, it, was yeah, like, it was. If just, they had just done that a month ago, they wouldn't be in this issue. Exactly. Right. Zach Brown, people at a country concert, having a good time, getting ready for summer. That is what Bud Light's about. But now the problem is, is that the brand looks very inauthentic. Right. Now it hasn't decided who it's going to stand for. It, it's trying to be everything to everyone, and now, right now, it's nothing to anyone. You know, is this the brand that is now like a political brand that gets involved in political issues, or is this a brand of that's just supposed to be about sports and music and culture? Right now, it doesn't have an identity, and that's the problem right now. So, no matter what they put out from an advertising standpoint, it's going to look inauthentic to con- to consumers. Right. What they need to do is they need to be clear about who Bud Light is for and what Bud Light is trying to achieve. And by doing, but to do that, they think I think my view is that they have to come out and say, you know what, we made a mistake. Bud Light should have never gotten involved in this political controversy. They never should have sponsored something like Bill Mulvaney. They won't necessarily sponsor polarizing figures moving forward because that's not what the Bud Light consumer wants. Moving forward, we're going to be doing things that are bringing us together as Americans. We're going to be doing music. We're going to be doing sports. We're going to be doing things like that to bring us together. Once they do that, then it will look authentic with campaigns like this. But until they do that, I think they're going to continue to bleed consumers. I read an article yesterday or day before that and it's probably been happening sooner is that the the losses are bleeding over into their other brands now uh mick ultra i think that's one of their other ones um is starting to see big losses and um so i mean i i think it's gonna i think it's gonna keep keep searching because with the internet now everybody who drinks beers on their phone looking you know what beers are made by anheuser-busch and you know my son-in-law was a bush light drinker so he's now switched so and everybody he knows is switched so i think they're i think they're a long way from recouping what they've lost no i, I completely agree with you and i think that the um you know i think that this this boycott is backlash is going to go on a lot longer than the executives at anheuser bush are, are thinking it is and on the last earnings call their ceo said that you know, hey guys, we've dealt with stuff like this. We've dealt with countries, for example, shutting off alcohol production during COVID, like what happened in Mexico, what happened in South Africa. This is a global organization. So like their view is that this is just going to kind of blow over and this is going to be a blip, um, which happens, you know, with some other like boycotts. Like since we started boycott Disney, wasn't that successful? It hasn't been successful with like the NFL. And there's, there's reasons for that. This boycott is going to be successful and boycotts are successful when there are two things that are true. The first thing that has to be true is that consumers feel like they can easily switch to other brands, that the switching costs are very or something else. And secondarily, when consumers feel like they're actually having an impact. 
And in this case, both things are true. Like it's very easy for consumers to be able to switch brands. Like everywhere you see Bud Light, when you're at a convenience store or a gas station, grocery store bar, there, there tends to be Miller Light or Coors Light or Yingling and the brands cost the same. So like the cost to switch is very, very low and very, very easy. And then secondarily, consumers feel like they're having an impact. What's interesting about the beer industry is that the numbers and the sales of the beer industry are reported weekly from trade publications that get survey data from Walmart and Kroger and Publix and other these large chains where you can see in real time what the sales data is doing. And so what's interesting here is that consumers are switching and it's not like this is, you know, for example, when people are upset at the NFL for getting involved in a lot of like the kneeling controversies, like, you know, people say I'm going to switch from the NFL, but like really what the heck else are you going to do on Sundays in the fall? Like you don't have a lot of opportunities. There's nothing else that's like the NFL. So people said they were going to switch, but man, this last Super Bowl was the most watched Super Bowl ever. And then secondarily, it was this impact piece. You know, people, for example, were upset that Disney got involved in the parental rights issue last year in Florida. But, you know, in the same way, it's kind of hard to switch out of Disney. You don't necessarily see like numbers on a weekly basis. Hard to realize are you having an impact or not? Are people going to the theme park? I don't know. You know, are people watching less movies? Well, I don't know. But here, it's very clear that people are immediately switching. You're seeing it not only in the sales data, but you're seeing it on social media. I mean, you guys probably seen the videos at Fenway Park last week. There was like one line of people that was yeah. 20 people deep to buy Coors Light. There was another line stand for Bud Light. There was not a single person in it. There was like a bored guy on his phone, you know, while just sitting there reading the news. Well, because nobody was drinking Bud Light. I mean, consumers are seeing it in real time. Well, and you, you talk about the success or failure of boycotts. Have you ever seen a boycott that's been that's been this big a hit? You know, we um, we actually did a bunch of research on this. There actually hasn't been one this successful. The last time that there was a successful one, it actually happened in the 90s. And there was a Shell, the gas station Shell. They were going to sink a, uh, a big oil project, big oil derrick that was in the ocean. And instead of recycling it, which is going to cost them like $50 million, they were just going to implode it and just have it kind of sink to the bottom of the ocean. Well, there was a big there was a big boycott about this because people wanted them to recycle it and for those two reasons i mentioned earlier it was actually easy for consumers to switch from buying like shell gasoline to going across the street and buying like bp gasoline so a lot of consumers they actually switch and then also consumers believe that they were having an impact in this as well because it was being reported in the news how people they weren't they weren't um uh actually going to shell gas stations anymore and their sales were down and so Shell, at the end of the day, realized that they were going to lose more sales and then uh, that $50 million that cost them to recycle the plant. So that was one of the last times it was actually successful. That, you know, it hasn't happened in 20 or 30 years. And that's why I think Anheuser-Busch was initially betting that this would blow over. But I just don't think that it is. So it's been a while. But this will um, you know, probably go down as the most successful boycott in, uh, in company history until, unless Anheuser-Busch fixes the issue and gets it right. Yeah, well, you mentioned, you know, again, uh, their customers, they they just want to enjoy their beer and not, not have the politics. And for me, and I know it's not been, like you said, not nearly successful with the NFL, but, you know, I'm kind of done with pro sports for the same reason. For that same reason is I I watched and enjoyed Major League Baseball and Major League or in, in NFL football because it was a step away from the politics up until a few years ago. And I have just, you know, um, I'm, you know, I, I don't have a team that 
is mine anymore. I mean, I still will watch games um, because I enjoy the sport. But, um, but like, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, I was <laughs> – you know, I went to lots of games every year. I was just, you know, I watched as many games as I could. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of done with pro sports. I'm, I'm looking more towards, you know, college a little bit more. And the fact of the matter is, is I find I have uh, more free time too. And, and less, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't put any emotional capital into any professional athletic team anymore for the reason that the reason I used to enjoy doing that it was a step away from the politics yeah you know and I think that some of the sports leagues they're starting to come back around and um, you know trying to frankly bring back folks like yourself um, you know if you remember there was a um, you know a couple months ago there were hockey teams they used to do you know like pride nights and LGBTQ type of nights and they started to get pushback from certain fans and certain consumers. You know, they just said, like, you know, hey, listen, guys, like, great. There's a subset of the populations, LGBTQ, great. You know, that's that's their choice. But like, why do, like, I have to come to a hockey game, like, specifically, like, you know, have to, you know, see that at a, at a hockey game? Like, why can't I just enjoy a hockey, you know, hockey game? And even some of the players that said, like, listen, guys, like, you want me to wear, like, a certain, you know, jersey for, for a night – you know, for like myself, like that's fine if you were LGBTQ. I don't have a problem with that. But like, why can't you know? Why do we have to make that part of like the hockey experience? Like, people come to hockey for like the hockey game. Like, let people do whatever they want to do LGBTQ wise. Like, just do it outside of hockey. So like, they actually started certain teams said, you know what, we're just not going to do those nights anymore because you know hockey and sports and others should be about the things that I don't know make us all you know realize. What, what are the things that, that bring us together? Not necessarily about a difference. It's about, I don't know, standing up, doing the national anthem, you know, rooting for your team, grabbing hot dogs, beers, the game. Like, why do we have to have, like, all types of, like, certain nights that, that necessarily, like, highlight differences with us as Americans? Like, why don't we come together, root for the team, have spirit? So I think the pendulum's starting to swing and starting to come back as a lot of leagues will, you know, see that, that, um, that they lost a lot of, of good customers. Well, I think the NFL – got the hint after that first year um, because I mean I've started watching more again this last year or last yeah last year year and a half maybe um, but I think they got the hint that first year that things were they went too far and they did alienate a lot of their base true they have you have nothing else that can compare to football in the fall but um, I think a lot of people did quit for a while um, just were just fed up and frustrated with it um but then slowly weeded back but but like i said i do think the nfl woke up a little bit and backed off um the public display of it to you know the in your face part of it yeah it's on the helmets they got some wording here and there but you know the in your face stuff i think they pulled back because they realized that hey you know we can't we can't afford to lose 20 percent of our you know of our revenue that's a lot of money yeah, and I mean, I think I think it's probably more than that. I think that, I mean, you know, that's we we can maybe get into it here in a second. That's one of the reasons we started this uh, asset management company called Strive. You know, just to remind companies or corporations that they should be focused on their mission, whatever that mission is. Be true to that mission, carry out that mission as a corporation, but don't necessarily like bring politics into your mission because it alienates 
you know, half your customer base anytime you get involved in a political issue. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, issue around Second Amendment rights, Roe v. Wade rights, other rights, like, you know, that has nothing to do with like, you know, NFL, it has nothing to do with hockey, it has nothing to do with, we can get a bunch of other examples, um, you know, Coca-Cola getting involved in voting rights issues, Salesforce getting involved in defund the police initiatives. It's like, you know, these organizations that have nothing to do with these social issues, like why would you necessarily get involved in these at the expense of alienating, you know, a strong percentage of your, of your customer base. Batesville Liquor Co. located at 315 Shopping Village in downtown Batesville, Indiana, your place for all your cocktail needs, whether it's beer, wine, spirits, they've got it. They've got your tequilas, they've got your vodkas, they've got your gins, and of course, your bourbons. In fact, they do barrel picks. These are single barrels that have been hand-selected by folks at Batesville Liquor Code just for you. Not sure which spirit you want to try? Maybe you want to go to one of their tastings. That's right. They have a tasting area right there in Batesville Liquor Co. where you can try some of the new and upcoming uh, spirits, uh, new and upcoming bourbons, tequilas. They do it right there in the store. You want to find out when those are? Very simple. Go to their Facebook page, Batesville Liquor Co. They list any tastings they're doing. Uh, Normally, there's a couple a week. Stop in, say hi, do a tasting. Maybe you'll find a new cocktail that you're interested in. You know, they've got it all there. You've got RTDs. Do you know what RTDs are? That's the newest fad in cocktails. It's ready to drink cocktails already pre-mixed in a can. Pretty simple. It's getting ready to be boat season. You buy an RTD, you put it in a cooler on ice, and you've got it right there on the water with you. That's right. Go check them out. Batesville Liquor Co. located at 315 Shopping Village in Batesville, Indiana, or Tebby Liquors located on Main Street in Brookville, Indiana. As always, tell them the Cross the Line 1524 crew sent you. Gilman's Home Centers. With 14 locations and growing. You know what? It's the party time of the year. That's right. You might need some party rentals and they've got them. They've got bouncy houses, tents, even slushy machines for those adult party-friendly drinks. You know what? Things are heating up which means you need to start thinking about watering options for your lawn and garden. They've got it. And you know what? It may be too hot for you. They've got plenty of air conditioning units and fans just for you. Gilman Home Centers, with 14 locations in Indiana and Ohio. So that's that's our lead way into Strive Asset Management. So talk a little bit about your company, um, how you got started, and your mission. Yeah, so one of the um, you know reasons like the why a lot of people wonder like you know why would Bud Light uh, or Anheuser Busch get involved in a political controversy if it if it doesn't necessarily um, you know help drive value for them and we kind of we kind of solve that why for people so the real why is is that there are three large companies in this country BlackRock State Street Vanguard they manage $20 trillion worth of assets. They're asset managers that manage, probably a lot of people listen to the show, their 401ks or their pension funds if you're a firefighter or you're a police officer. And using that capital, they invest into every single company, publicly traded company in the United States. They're the single largest shareholder in 95% of the S&P 500. And really over the last five to six years, they have started to adopt a model called stakeholder capitalism. 
And stakeholder capitalism is very distinct from shareholder capitalism. Shareholder capitalism is what almost every single major uh, asset management company in the United States practiced from 1970 or so when Milton Friedman, kind of the father of the shareholder capitalism movement, which said that companies primary focus is on their shareholders, serving their shareholders. They do that by creating great products and services that their customers love, their customers buy products, they deliver value to the company. A company can then pay dividends to their shareholders, their shareholder price increases. But these large asset managers, BlackRock, States, and Ingram, have adopted this stakeholder capitalism model. Stakeholder capitalism has been around really for the same period, last 40, 50 years in Europe. Europe has adopted this stakeholder capitalism model that says that companies have to work more closely with governments and with other stakeholders like activists and political organizations to serve all stakeholders. And that's problematic for a couple of different reasons. One, it's problematic because this stakeholder capitalism model, it says that companies now have to serve multiple masters. When you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're actually nothing to anyone. Instead of now, if you're, let's use the, the Bud Light example, Bud Light, you serve your customer, your customer wants to be apolitical, and you want to just to serve like great quality lot of beer. Now, all of a sudden, you have to serve all these other activists and all these other uh, you know, people. That's problematic for that company. It doesn't necessarily create shareholder value. And then separately as well, stakeholder capitalism, we believe it's bad because instead of individuals from a, in our democracy that we live in, Instead of individuals having a, a vote and a voice on certain issues, whether it's biological men, you know, playing in sports against biological women, or it's certain issues like I was living in Atlanta, where citizens of Georgia voted for representatives that elected officials that said you need to have an ID to vote. It was a Georgia voting rights issue that BlackRock said, hey, we disagree with this. We don't think that this is bad for, for, for voting access. And we expect companies like Coca-Cola, Delta, if you remember, Major League Baseball canceled an all-star game over this. Right. We believe that stakeholder capitalism model is bad for democracy as well. Because instead of each individual person having a vote and having a voice about how we're going to govern ourselves and the laws we live by, now all of a sudden you go back to this like old European, almost monarchical model of like a couple large asset managers and a couple CEOs that are now all of a sudden deciding to dictate what rules that we live by and govern as opposed to individual citizens. So that's what we believe the stakeholder capitalism model is bad. Now, why was it adopted? Well, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, they manage a lot of money for European clients. They also manage money for states like the state of California, the state of New York, which have asked them to solve some of the societal issues that they believe, for example, that when Trump was elected, Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords and they saw this as a failure of government to respond to certain existential you know, climate-related risks and other problems. So therefore, these states of California, New York, which there, which 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 give a lot of money to BlackRock, states through Vanguard, and the European clients said, "Hey, BlackRock, states through Vanguard, you guys need to adopt firm-wide commitments to stakeholder capitalism and also to implement stakeholder capitalism (ESG) or environmental, social, and governance standards." And unfortunately, over the last five years, this is when this is really kind of. Uh, led a big crescendo it was in 2018 that Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, was the head of the business roundtable in the U.S., adopted this stakeholder capitalism mantra saying that the purpose of a corporation now is to serve all stakeholders. It was kind of a ploy for them to pick up more dollars, more assets, more money. And that's what's led to this politicization of corporate America, led by BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, stakeholder capitalism movement, ESG movement. And we created Strive as a counterweight to that to refocus again on shareholder capitalism.
serve your shareholders. How do you serve your shareholders? Just focus on your customers. Create great products and services for them. Focus on excellence. Don't get involved in the politics. We think that's good for American free market capitalism. Allow that to you know, solve any problems that we have in the uh, via free market capitalism. And then separately, we think that's good for democracy because it allows, once again, individuals to have a vote and a voice in how we govern ourselves. I was reading up on it, and I saw some of the articles where you've picked up you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for the different funds that you've got going, and, and we, which is great. I mean, it's very impressive. But how long do you think it'll take to, to where it becomes more noticed um, that that you know that there's a different movement going. I mean, are are you going to try to focus on one like one industry or something to make a change there and then work your way through, or or can you tell us your plan? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a it, it, it's a great question. So we um so we started the company. Um, we raised money from folks like Peter Thiel, Bill Ackman, Founders Fund to go out and basically like replicate the exact same funds that BlackRock, State Street, Amber have. Low fee, passive index funds that give people the exact same exposure to industries like the U.S. energy industry, U.S. semiconductor industry, large cap value, large cap growth, large cap dividend. Same thing you get from them, but we vote differently proxies. And then we do shareholder engagement differently with companies. And we specifically started our first fund, our flagship fund, is a U.S. energy fund called DRIP. The ticker symbol is D-R-L-L. And we went to the U.S. energy industry first because it's the industry that has been most hampered by the stakeholder capitalism and ESG movement. This is where you've had sort of government working with these large asset managers to collude to take money away from the energy industry. So what I mean by that, we know you had President Biden on the campaign trail saying he was put the U.S. energy industry out of business. That's his words, not mine. And then subsequently, you had BlackRock State Street Vanguard. They partnered up with an activist fund called Engine Number One. This was in 2021, where coming out of COVID, ExxonMobil, they wanted to increase their oil and gas production by 25% coming out of COVID because they said there's going to be increased demand and we need to meet that demand because we're, our mission is to be the world's premier petrochemical and petroleum company. Well, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, they didn't like that. They said, well, that doesn't meet some of our commitments that we've made to the net zero carbon emissions by 2050 asset management program. That doesn't sort of align with some of our climate activist 100 agenda commitments that we've made to reduce oil and gas production. So they worked as activists fund to replace three board members at ExxonMobil with three board members that wanted to decrease oil and gas production by 25% to meet those sort of climate goals, environmental agendas that BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard signed up for. Well, the problem with that is is that there's no doubt that ExxonMobil would be a more profitable, better company today if they were producing 25% more oil and gas than they otherwise would have. That would have been good for shareholders. And the thing that's like what's crazy about this is it's not like ExxonMobil, the energy kind of uh, uh, projects they had to drop to meet this commitment just stopped and just went away. But they get picked up by firms like PetroChina. And PetroChina is, coincidentally, the second largest shareholder of PetroChina is BlackRock. So therefore, it's one of these like, you know, here in the U.S., they kind of hamper the energy industry with some of their mandates and commitments to meet these sort of, you know, U.S. and European stakeholder capitalism goals. Yet they don't say boo over in China where they have an asset management business. And that's a big growth engine for them. So for us, we say that that's bad for the U.S. energy industry. And who ended up losing? Well, shareholders of ExxonMobil ended up losing because they would have been more profit and got more, more dollars at ExxonMobil. 
U.S. consumers lost out because now all of a sudden we're paying six, seven, eight dollars per gallon for gasoline last summer, like we uh, like we all were. And then ultimately, uh, who else loses a lot of the uh, retirees and others that were uh, dependent on ExxonMobil for dividends and others. So we started in the U.S. energy industry with that firm with with our with our ticker similar fund drill that says, hey. If you are a oil company, we want you to drill for oil. If you're a natural gas company, frack. If you are wind, great. Do wind, solar, do solar, nuclear, do nuclear, because we need all this energy here in the U.S. But what we don't do is we don't necessarily have, as a large gas venture, come in and change an oil company's mission based off some sort of like arbitrary net zero asset management uh, coalition thing that we've signed up for or a Paris Climate Accord agenda that's never been ratified by the U.S., and so we are almost like a white knight to that energy industry where CEOs, Darren Woods at Exxon, uh, Michael Worth, CEO of Chevron, were going to ask about the fund list and shareholders and basically said, like, this is great. We welcome these new shareholders with different ideas about the industry. And even afterwards, we engaged with the CEO, Darren Woods at Exxon, and wrote him letters and said, hey, you guys have been unfairly hampered by the ESG movement. We think you guys should actually add new board members at Exxon that will better balance out the board, allow you guys to drill more and allow you guys to be more profitable. And after having dinner with Darren, meeting with Darren, they actually added two new board members, one from Continental Airlines um, and then a second one from Raytheon. So two people that actually have capital expenditure experience. And now all of a sudden you see ExxonMobil is looking at acquisition once again, looking to buy Pioneer Resources, which is a natural gas company. And so we believe that this is good for kind of American U.S. energy independence. It's good for shareholders at, at Exxon. And it's good for kind of like, frankly, the American energy industry as well to once again be self-sufficient, self-reliant. So that's how we went to that industry first. They were very receptive to our message. And then we're doing the same thing for like U.S. semiconductor industry, U.S. Uh, you know, large cap growth companies, large cap value companies as well. But started with that energy industry because they were most hungry for our message. But I think that the, uh, the message is resonating in a big way. And the bigger we get, the more of a voice we'll have in corporate America. Well, I think, I think the other thing, um, it's kind of ironic. I think um, um, you push it. The, the problem with what's been going on is not environmentally friendly, whether people th- understand it or not, because the U.S. produces the energy they produce and use for manufacturing is infinitely cleaner than China. And so I think the world environment when, you know, it just it drives me crazy to think that we push through these um, tactics of shutting our own our own country and our own economy down, pushing it into countries in the world that are creating everything they create in a much un, unhealthier atmosphere for the world. Yeah, Alan, you're exactly right. I mean, it's really funny. Like, you know, people ask me a lot, like, well, hey, are you guys, you know, like, like you know, against the environment? Like, no, like, I love the environment. I want a cleaner, better, healthier world. But, you know, we have two choices because we're not using less energy globally. We're using a lot more every single year because there are still billions of people living in second and third world conditions in India and in Africa and others that they want to have air conditioning. They want to have cars to drive. So we're using more energy every single year, not less. And we have to make the decision. Are we going to get that energy from places like here in the United States, which to your point, you're exactly right. We have the cleanest energy, the cleanest extraction methods, the highest environmental standards, or are we going to go get it from places like Russia, Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia, China, which has some of the dirtiest 
extraction methods, no environmental standards. And that's the decision that we have to make. And, uh, you know, we just frankly believe as a, as a company at Strive that it makes a lot more sense to get that energy from here in the U.S., invest domestically in jobs, uh, be able to get good tax revenue from that, be able to produce actually like cleaner, better, healthier energy that actually is better for the world than pushing it overseas. And also that's going to make that energy source here less expensive for Americans as well because we don't have to import it from all those other countries paying excessive shipping fees and others. Why don't we just get it right here because we have it in abundance in, uh, in the U.S.? So when, and, and I've been trying to educate myself a little bit more on investing and um, and the voting process, where you talk about BlackRock, when they're managing the funds, they get um, to basically make the vote for me. Are there, I mean, is the proxy voting, is that is that all one, one thing? Or is there a way for me as a 401k, you know, I have my 401k, can I, do I have any influence on these companies? No, that's the big problem. That's the problem we're trying to solve. So if you own any funds from BlackRock, State Street, or Vanguard, large-scale kind of ETFs or mutual funds, they are going to vote on your behalf. So there's like two separate ways. Like, you know, you, you might have own individual stocks. Like if you own an individual stock like Apple, you probably get like a statement in the mail that, you know, asks you to vote for their directors or asks you to vote for certain shareholder resolutions. But if you own broad-based uh exchange-traded funds or mutual funds, generally speaking, who votes those shares is BlackRock states or Vanguard. So if you own like a large cap growth or large cap value or a technology fund or a you know, bio fund, whatever else it might be, they are generally voting on your behalf. And this is a problem because they will tell you that they're voting to maximize long-term value, but they're actually voting their pro-stakeholder capitalism ESG agenda. And there's a lot of people, Alan, probably like yourself, that don't agree with how they're voting certain things. I'll give you a couple couple of different examples. We'll start in the energy space, but I have some other interesting ones. So in the energy space last year, there was a vote at Chevron, and it was on what's called a scope three emissions reduction. And what a scope three is, is all of the downstream emissions that Chevron would create by selling their oil and gas to like Amazon to deliver products to your house, or you know me filling up my gas tank, those emissions are going to scope three emissions. The scope one emissions are the ones that Exxon would uh, create by just getting oil and gas out of the ground. You want to you want to obviously limit those scope one emissions because you don't want to spill the oil and gas. You want to sell it downstream. The scope two emissions are the emissions needed from kind of your suppliers and what they use for, for oil and gas. You want to generally limit those as well because you want your suppliers to limit their costs and you don't want them spilling oil and gas. But like downstream, scope three is all the emissions that are created again by that Amazon delivery truck, you know, shows up my house 10 times a day because my wife, you know, she buys <laughs> toothbrushes in the morning and then forgets that we need toothpaste in the afternoon. So like, you know, it shows up 10 times a day. And so there was a resolution from a Dutch nonprofit organization. This Dutch nonprofit organization was by a former refrigerator salesman that wants to reduce carbon and hit net 50, net zero by 2050 net zero carbon emissions by 2015. So they go to Chevron and they say, we want you to do a scope three emissions audit to figure out how you are going to go tell all of your customers to stop using your product and limit their emissions by limiting your product. Well, the board of directors at Chevron says, well, guys, like, I understand what you want to do as a nonprofit, as an activist, but like, we're an energy company. And like, for us, 
to create, create value for shareholders. Like we have to sell this product and we're not going to necessarily limit our, our emissions downstream. So therefore, this has nothing to do with shareholder value. This has to do with a political agenda. So that actually nonprofit agreed. They said, you know what, this has nothing to do with shareholder value. You're right. This has to do with a political agenda to try and get you to stop using oil and gas downstream. So Chevron's board of directors recommends against this scope three emissions audit. Yet you have BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard that waddle into the room, and because they've made these ESG commitments to their European clients in states like you know California, New York, which also, by the way, are trying to ban things like gas stoves because they don't want necessarily like the gas and gas emission, they end up voting for the scope three emissions audit at Chevron. Makes zero sense. It's not about shareholder value. It's about a political agenda because this is like if Chevron has to limit their customers buying their products downstream. I mean, that's the exact same thing as having like Apple advocating for a tax on cell phones or, or saying that they can't sell cell phones to a certain percentage of the population for some like arbitrary reason. Like, it makes no sense. It's not about shareholder value. It's about a political agenda. So for folks like yourself, that would probably say, yeah, if you're right, if you're Chevron and you're Exxon, well, we need oil, we need gas. You know, if there's a demand for it, they should sell it to them. We would say that's a fiduciary breach because you don't want BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard voting for those scope three emissions reductions. That's where we created Strive because we actually vote for things that maximize shareholder value at first. Uh, I'll give you one other example because I think this is like interesting as well. There was a, um, it's known as a, a civil rights on that was placed on Apple, Apple as a, uh, by a company called, or uh, as a nonprofit called Color of Change. Color of Change is a nonprofit organization their stated mission is to stamp out systemic racism and white supremacy across the world. So you know, noble goals, important things. But they went to Apple and they said, Apple, we want you to conduct a civil rights audit or racial equity audit to figure out how you have contributed to systemic racism and white supremacy historically and what you're going to do to fix it. Well, Apple's board of directors and CEO Tim Cook said, hey, guys, again, these are important issues, but like Apple doesn't do this. You know, Apple, we make magical devices and unbelievable prices. Like, we just don't do these things. Like, this is not about shareholder value. This is about, like, a political point you guys are trying to make. Well, Color of Change, the organization, they agree. They said, this is direct. This is nothing to do with shareholder value. This is about politics and making you guys try and atone for, you know, political issues we have in the United States. So Apple's board of directors recommended against this civil rights audit. Yet, once again, you have, like, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard that waddle into the room and they actually all voted for Apple to conduct a civil rights and racial equity audit at the cost of tens of millions of dollars being conducted by Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. And we just believe at Strive, like this has nothing to do with shareholder value. It's like Apple didn't become the world's most valuable company by trying to like figure out all these societal problems and societal issues and trying to rectify them. They became the world's most valuable company by focusing on their customer creating incredible technology and services. And if we want Apple to remain like the world's foremost technological innovator, we believe that's what they should keep on doing. Otherwise, we're going to get passed up by, you know, Chinese companies or other companies that they're just focused on shareholder value, creating the next technological revolution, not trying to solve these ancillary social issues that we believe are better off left to the political process. That's a lot to comprehend right there. <laughs> I just threw a lot at you. You did. You out. did. But I, I give you two real examples, you know, of, uh, of what's, I know, what's going on with, with your money. Um, you know, another just quick one. Like there was, um, you know, uh, two weeks ago, there was an organization that's you know, a very pro-union organization. And they wanted Starbucks to conduct a unionization on it to figure out how they could better support unions. 
at some. There's some that Howard Schultz has been, you know, very much against. And again, Howard Schultz, like, isn't a conservative guy. I mean, he's like a very progressive, you know, very, uh, you know, type of guy. But he said, guys, you know, for Starbucks, it's hard enough, you know, to get out your coffees and your frappuccinos and your food. But if we have now, like, unions that are coming into Starbucks, and now I have only one person that can pour coffee, only one person that can do frappuccinos, only one person that can do food, and I don't have the flexibility in the labor force, you know, like, this is going to be very difficult to serve my customers and to be able to serve my consumer and create shareholder value. It's like we are recommending against this, you know, this unionization audit and these unionization efforts because it's not about shareholder value. It's about a politicized position. So once again, like Starbucks' board recommended against this, yet you have a lot of asset managers that are voting for these things based off their ESG and stakeholder capitalist commitment. So that's, again, I mean, this is, you know, your money, other people's money that's going to support these social agendas and these social issues that's not about maximizing shareholder value, but it's about actually inserting values into investing that, once again, we don't think actually generates returns. Well, as you're... As your sales pitch, so I, I own a small business. Majority of my business life has been reinvesting in my business. I really didn't worry about 401k or anything until recent years, but I've started investing now. A friend of mine is my manager um, of it. So, and he, he handles, you know, it's not just mine, but how do I, how do you sell me? How do, what would make me go to him and say, hey, you need to start looking at this? Why? What is my reason to tell him? Because I will. He's, we have a business group we meet and he's in our group. So I'll see him Wednesday and I'm going to approach him either way with some questions and pose it to him. So how do I, how do I sell him? Alan, you, you, you're the jerky company, right? Yeah, but that was Dwayne. That, that was Dwayne talking. So. I own Hoosier Foreign Auto and Hoosier Power Sports. We're auto repair and ATV. So that's me. So auto, so auto repairs and, and ATVs. Yes. So, I mean, this is like interesting, like I mean, like the auto repair and the, and the, the ATV piece. So there are, uh, you know, one of the things like the auto repair and ATVs, there will be, I don't know, maybe like these guys can get all into the, let me use the, the jerky example first and I'll come back to the, the auto okay. repair. That is the jerky side. But like, this is like the other thing that's going on. So you have organizations like PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Another like proposal they put up at Starbucks that actually got like decent support. They said that they want Starbucks to stop selling cow-based milk at Starbucks. They only want to go to like oat milk and almond milk because they believe it's unethical for cows to be milked. And this is like real things that are going on in the world. And people for the ethical treatment of animals, they did the same thing around like meat and others. And so BlackRock states in Vanguard, because of their pro-stakeholder capitalism, they would say that PETA has like just as much rights as like actual, you know, real shareholders of an organization. And that, yeah, Starbucks, that they should stop using potentially cow's milk. And they show you almond milk or soy milk. Well, there's a lot of people out there that want almond milk or that want soy milk, you know, that want cow's milk. So why would you upset those customers that are now going to go to other places beyond beyond Starbucks? So in the same way, they're going to extrapolate that to like the meat industries. There's a lot of pressure of companies like Kroger, which is right here, to have certain like you know cage sizes for um, for you know the cows, pigs, etc., which is going to drive up prices. It's going to make your jerky more expensive if Kroger has to buy it from people that have certain um, you know pen sizes, cow size, etc., or if they have to stop selling it in general because of, of of pressure from places like PETA. So that that was kind of the jerky side. In terms of like your actual. Um, in terms of like your actual stuff on the on the auto repair side 
and on the ATV side, you know, if, if you have to deal with anything that's like gas engines or combustion engines, a lot of this movement from BlackRock six years is like trying to put combustion engines out of, out of business. So that's problematic on your side. But even like more simpler than that, I think you have to like ask yourself, like, what do you think generates like long-term value? Is it companies focusing on their mission, carrying out that mission to their customers, or is it getting involved in all these political issues? Some that I laid out, getting involved in civil rights audits, getting involved in voting rights issues in Georgia, getting involved in parental rights issues in, in Florida, like Disney did, getting involved in free speech issues on the internet, like Twitter did before Elon Musk, or companies like Anheuser-Busch getting involved in these political issues on the trans side. Whether you, know, you think it's right, if you think it's right for companies to be getting involved in all these, these political issues, great, go with BlackRock State Street Vanguard. Like that's the folks that, that are pushing these political agendas. If you think that, you know, probably for you, you do a great job, you service your customers and just want your car to be, you know, your car to be uh, fixed right, the ATVs to be fixed right. If that's what you do, you create like great products and services, you don't necessarily get involved in politics, then Strives would be a firm that would make sense for you and your, your investments. And hey, it's a free country, it's your money. Um, you can pick either way, but that's how kind of we differentiate ourselves and we believe we're a better fiduciary for folks that just want their money to go towards maximizing shareholder value, not necessarily advancing certain political values. So <clears throat> your co-founder of Strive Asset Management, as much as you want to stay out of politics, he decided not to. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so that was not part of the original business plan. <laughs> so, uh, my, 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 a little curveball. Curve. Curve. Uh, is, is Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, when we started Strive originally, you know, he said he wasn't going to get into politics. This is what we're doing. But I don't know. We had a little bit of success getting Strive off the ground. I think he's got a pretty important platform uh, that rhymes with a lot of things we're doing at Strive, you know, reminding people that, I don't know, the American dream is alive and well for people who work hard, reminding people that, you know, American free market capitalism is the best system known to mankind to raise people out of poverty and solve societal issues. Um, you know, we believe that we're a nation of, of underdogs here in uh, the U.S., not necessarily a nation of victims. So a lot of that message started to resonate in a big way that we were selling. And so, you know, I think he found a, um, a uh, you know, strong vein and kind of hit a, hit a nerve in the U.S. And uh, he wanted to bring that message to a, uh, to a broader part of the population. You know, to do that, we have to be true. Our mission is struck. You know, it's strive. We stay out of politics. We just we focus on companies focusing on corporate excellence, don't get involved in politics. So Vivek had to step away from the company. Uh, he stepped off the board. He stepped away from the operational day-to-day -day responsibilities of the firm. So he can go out and he can focus on, uh, I guess, saving American democracy, and then we can be left free to uh, save American free market capitalism. And uh, I don't know, I mean, our message is that we believe that some of these other large asset management CEOs, like Jamie Diamond, who's head of J.P. Morgan or Larry Fink, who's head of BlackRock, you know, these guys have said in the past they would love to be president of the United States. They just don't want to run for it. We say, well, they're kind of acting like the president of the United States from their bully pulpits and managing other people's money. They should also step away if they want to, uh, if they want to run for office and not just uh, adjudicate change on, uh, you know, important public policy issues from their, from their uh, CEO perks. So that's why Vivek stopped, you know, stepped away. Um, but it's been great for him. He's been incredibly successful so far. I think he's running third right now behind Trump and DeSantis in the uh, national polls. And I think he's going to go a lot further than uh, people give him credit for. Yeah, I think so too. So Ants, we're, we're, while we're here in Southeast Indiana, we're pretty close to Cincinnati. So, and, and Vivek is from Cincinnati. So, um, and as a matter of fact, 
you know, Alan and I both work, you know, in Cincinnati. And uh, the first time I heard uh, Vivek speak was actually on a uh, Cincinnati radio station interview. And, um, yeah, I was just uh, struck by uh, his intelligence, his com- his commitment, and uh, and what he had to say. And so I've been watching, and I've been watching, and I've been seeing, you know, I've been seeing that grow. And, of course, around the Cincinnati area, he's getting a little bit more play. As a matter of fact, stopped at the uh, – the local convenience store for a cup of coffee this morning and the tv had a local news station and they were talking with vivek and uh and i told the lady at the counter i said you need to watch that guy right there because he's he's going to be something he's uh he's coming on so it's um it's fresh you know he's he's got some fresh ideas um he's got a great demeanor and i think he's got some really good ideas um so that being said, you know, I heard a little bit about his background and getting, you know, you know, again, being from, he was from Cincinnati and I believe, you know, you guys, I, I was kind of curious where you guys met and how you guys came together. Yeah. So we're uh, I'm from Cincinnati as well, as you mentioned. So Vivek and I, we go back to high school. We knew each other in high school. We, uh, we actually did mock trial together in high school. So I guess uh, I say we've been asking people to vote for us for, you know, 25 some odd years. Uh, we asked people to vote for us in, in mock trial on juries for cases that we were arguing. And uh, then we asked people to vote for us, you know, with their dollars and where it's strong. And now he's off asking people to vote for him and President of the United States. Um, but we had, um, so we knew each other in high school. And then we had uh, some like, I don't know, parallel careers. It was almost like ships passed in the night for, uh, for 25 some odd years. Um, he, uh, he was a Harvard for undergrad. I went to Yale for undergrad. He went to, I was in private equity out of school. He was at a hedge fund. Um, he went to Yale law school. I went to Harvard business school. So we were, I guess, a couple of nerds, I guess, you know, from, uh, from Cincinnati <laughs> that always just, uh, kind of kept in contact. And I don't know, I mean, passionate about these ideals of, um, and again, you know, American capitalism, American democracy, you know, freedom of speech, open debate, uh, these are things I think we always used to believe in when we were growing up and felt like they were unfortunately being eroded, you know, over the last couple of years. So uh, we always stayed in contact. And I don't know, it was maybe a year and a half, two years ago, we were on the phone late one night. And I think, again, just frustrated about the, the polarization that was happening in the in the uh, U.S., some of that driven by the politicization of corporate America. You know, some of the things I, I already spoke about, companies getting involved in you know, just politics when they shouldn't. And instead of uh, just talking about it and complaining about it, you know, we decided that hey, let's actually do something about it. We said this is a twenty trillion dollar problem, which we saw as a twenty trillion dollar opportunity because that's the amount of money that again BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard all manage. And we thought that we could be a better fiduciary to those vast majority of Americans that just wanted people to manage their money, maximize returns, and then leave all the politics to politicians. And um, so, you know, who knows? Hopefully. Uh, you know, if they're successful on the, on the political front, solving issues that, you know, we're not solving on the capital markets. And hopefully we're successful as well on the capital market side, uh, unleashing the potential of American free market capitalism. And I don't know, I think if we can do both, we can send this country and this economy, hopefully back into beast mode pretty quick. So that's the, uh, that's the goal. So if I can jump back just for a second, I think maybe this is where Dwayne's question was leaning with regard to Strive and say my 401k, uh, my uh, uh, 
Roth IRA and those kind of things that I have invested in Vanguard and wherever they are. So when I, when I, how do I, what is it that Dwayne is going to tell his money manager to say, I need you to transition these investments I have that you're managing to strive? What, how do we I mean, do that? It, it, it's, it, it's as simple as that. So we offer many of the same products that BlackRock states and Vanguard has. We have U.S. energy funds. Ticker symbol is DRILL, D-R-L-L. We have a U.S. semiconductor fund because we believe that U.S. semiconductors, they power, power the modern way of life. Your cell phones, your cars, your TVs. We need more investments in semiconductors that can't be produced in China, Taiwan, et cetera. Our fund's called SHOC, S-H-O-C. We have a large cap uh, fund, a uh, large cap dividend fund. It's S-T-X-D. So we actually, uh, both Vivek and I, we went to a high school called St. Xavier High School. St. X is what it was called. Right. And uh, where we even got the name Strive from, it came from our, our, um, our high school's motto, which was striving for excellence or striving for the modules. That's kind of where the name came from. So we have a whole lineup of ticker symbols that are STX, which stands for, you know, like STX is strive for excellence, but also kind of, you know, where we went to high school. One of the ones that is a, our, our uh, dividend growth funds, STXD as in dividend. It does. It invests only in companies that have grown their dividend year over year over year. We have a large cap. We have a large cap growth product. It's called STXG, as in growth. It invests in growth oriented companies that continue to grow year over year. We have a value product, STXV. It's for value. We have an emerging markets uh, fund uh, that excludes China from it because there's a lot of problems investing in China. It's called STXE, as in X China. So we'll be coming out with fixed income products as well. Um, you can learn more about this at strivefunds.com or just go to strive.com and you can find uh, find more information there. But so again, exact same products as BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. We just vote proxies differently. We do shareholder engagement differently with corporations as well, asking to focus on product excellence, not getting involved in politics. So if that's, uh, if that's for you or that's for the listeners out there, that if you want your money just to be going to maximize value, leave politics to others, strives for you. But hey, you know, there's people out there that might want civil rights audits or unionization audits or scope for emissions reductions. If that's you, then put your money with Blackhawk State Street and Vanguard. It's your money, but now at least you have a choice about what you think is good for American capitalism and American democracy. Yeah, so we'll definitely put those links on our on the podcast page as well and on our website so folks can check that out. So we're we're right about an hour and I know that's all the time we told you we were gonna take, but this has been an eye opening experience for us and hopefully for all of our listeners on what's actually going on out there in the investment world and investment market and who's controlling what. Well, and I think it lets us know that there's options, you know, that you guys are an option uh, to um, these places that are doing things that kind of of rub me the wrong way or go against the grain of um, what I feel like I'm about. So... It's uh, it's always good to have choices, right? Well, my guy's gonna, my guy's going to get this podcast in the link, so I'm going to see him every Wednesday, and until he gives me a report back that he at least looked into it. So, no, I appreciate that. So, thank you guys for that, and we uh, we appreciate the support. You know, we're off to a off to a decent start, but uh, but have a long way to go. And the uh, I think the biggest thing is that you know we feel like we got a lot of momentum on our side. There's a lot of people that are rooting for us. Um, you know, we've had over a million people come to our website. Check us out at strive.com to learn what we're about. So we feel like there's a lot of people that feel the same way we do, and they're just glad they have choice now because 
you know, a year ago, uh, they did before we started, and now they do, and we're, uh, we're keeping it going. So we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, looking forward to getting out to Gator Fest hopefully this year as well, Alan. Hey, we're going to make sure that happens. We're going to make sure that happens. Yeah, tell, we'll be looking forward to meeting you there. And tell Vivek it's a, it's a pleasure to hear his fresh, his fresh outlook on what, what America should be and what America was. No, we uh, we'll do, and I don't know. We'll see if we can get him on this podcast. That, here, so. That'd be great. That'd, That'd be awesome. Yeah, there. I was going to quietly we... talk to you about that, but yeah, we. I mean, we, we call ourselves the Common Man's Podcast because we are. We're just the common folk, and that's the message he's speaking to everybody. So right. that's, uh, and it's really the same message Strive has because folks they don't know they don't know what's going on. Right. So well, they don't think they have anything to say about it. Now I know I have a say, so I'm going to say it. So. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that's nice about us, it's like, you know, this isn't like a, like a donation. This is like your investments. This is like money. Right. Hopefully you can, you know, put now you have an option right. to invest your dollars, um, you know, behind the belief like, yeah, hey, I just want corporations to make money for me. That's right. it. Not get involved in all this political, um, all these political issues that you're seeing all across the country. And people are just frankly just tired of it and sick of it. And again, now they have a, uh, now they have an opportunity to go elsewhere. Yes. So, for Across the Line 1524, I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, and our very special guest on the phone, Anson Ferreris. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Anson. You. You've been listening to Across the Line 1524 with all the guys, whether we're at the Rusted Nail Speakeasy or out on the road. You know, we always have a great time. Hey, check out our webpage at www.crossthelline1524.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Check out Podcast 1524 on Twitter and Cross the Line 15 slash 24 on Facebook.